I really believe that what's meant to be is meant to be. So yeah, work hard, dream big, but it's so easy to look at other people and think, I want this, I'm not there, I don't have my shit together. I really think that what's meant to come your way will come your way. Welcome back to Round Game Strong. I hope you are well. Um, It is a lovely Saturday morning where I am recording this right now and I'm just very calm, feeling okay. It's still lockdown. We're still stuck indoors pretty much, but going to try and go for a walk and just make the most of the fairly warm weather, quite warm for England. So today's episode is I mean, I don't know what to say about this guest because there's just so much to say. Um, Our next guest is Anya and she is a huge inspiration, I think, to anyone who is maybe looking to get into the fitness industry, is maybe struggling with, oh, I'm not good enough, like, how do I how do I overcome my fears and do the things that I want to do? And I think we're we're kind of coming to a theme here now with, with this podcast where we're sort of speaking to people who are like overcoming day-to-day fears or maybe it's something that I kind of try and pry out of them when I do speak to them because I think everybody does have some element of self-doubt and everybody is trying to just overcome that, um, especially in a time of you know, insane comparison culture where we are, you know, it's completely digital at the moment. Um, All we see about someone else is literally their online activity and what they're, you know, putting out there. And so I think in a world like that, having conversations like these is of utmost importance, I think, to get us back up and and remembering just how awesome we all are. And Anya is just that. She is awesome. I was a little bit nervous going into this one because I just, I have so much respect for Anya and the work that she does that I was kind of just like, oh, I hope I asked the right questions, you know, and and I really wanted to get a good understanding of where she comes from with um, all of the amazing work that she's doing. So Anya is currently pursuing a PhD at Imperial College London and she's also a senior cycle instructor. And one thing that we don't speak about in the episode, but I'm going to just plug is Anya does these great playlists. And if you kind of check her out on Instagram, I think she does post them regularly. And sometimes I just play them um, when I'm feeling kind of low, maybe like feeling very lockdown-y. Um, I just, yeah, put one of those on and I just start getting pumped. I do want to mention as well that we recorded this episode a few months ago. This was before lockdown 3.0. So there are some references to things like in-person classes, which was happening a few months ago. Obviously it's no longer happening, but I just want you to kind of bear that in mind in case you get confused because we are still in lockdown in London. Um, and hopefully that will be lifted soon. But I just want to reiterate how lucky I feel to have had this conversation with her because um, as a child, having grown up in Sri Lanka, having gone through leukemia, uh, childhood obesity, um, having gone to boarding school and found her drive and her motivation, and then going on to sort of teaching these really early morning classes sometimes and balancing that with a full-time PhD, which can't be easy and it can't be a walk in the park. One thing we go into towards the end, which is actually one of my favorite parts of this episode, is nutrition. Because of course, um, Anya is a qualified nutritionist and uh, we talk about vegetarianism and veganism and also how to get enough protein in your diet. 
Um, so there's some really practical tips and the kind of things that you can cook if that's something that you also are struggling with. I know that I really am. So yes, uh, without further ado, we're going to go into episode eight and I hope you love it as much as I do. Hi, Anya. Thank you so much for joining us on Brown Game Strong. I'm so excited to have you on today. How are you doing? How's your day? It's been it's been a busy day. Today's a Sunday. Um, I took on two extra spin classes today, so I've, it's been a day of teaching for me, which is really fun because I love teaching. But also on a Sunday, I find it really nice because I get really bad Sunday scaries. So. I kind of like that I've already kind of started my week and I, I love my job, which is great. <laughs> so I'm completely fine to do it on a Sunday. But yeah, apart from that, chilling. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound chilled for the normal person. I feel like you do do quite a lot on weekends. And is it quite common for you to teach on Sundays? The first few years of me teaching at Cycle, I did teach every single Sunday just because it's, you know, with any company, you take what you can get when you start. And I worked every single Sunday and pretty much every single Saturday. Recently, I made the decision to stop working on Sundays, which has been so nice because I do my PhD full time from Monday to Friday. And I didn't realize what it was catching up with me, the fact that I didn't have a single day to neither think about the PhD or cycle. I teach a lot on Saturdays. I teach two 60-minute classes, which um, is really intense. But I'm really lucky that I have a really cool group of people that come to the classes and tend to both with me. Uh, so I feel like I've got like a good team with me. So, and I, I really enjoy teaching them. I saw on social media that you've started teaching in-person classes again. What has that been like? And are you getting quite a few people signing up? I have mixed feelings about this one. I am so grateful to everyone that has supported Cycle and their respective gyms over lockdown and the fact that they've been doing their online workouts and stuff because it's meant that we can reopen our doors, which is so amazing. Um, in terms of in-person classes, classes are at 50% capacity. So I usually teach about 56 people at a time. And now it's about 23 to 28. Uh, there's social distancing between bikes, there's social distancing throughout the studio, there's um, high-tech air filters, just working on airflow throughout the studio. So it's I, I feel very safe being there. I But I also do understand that I, I know so many friends that have just really fallen in love with working out at home. And then I also have friends that aren't comfortable to step into a group fitness class yet. And I, I think like, at a time like this, there's really no right and wrong. Uh, so if people are comfortable, they're there, but they are respecting social distancing. It was surreal to teach for the first time when I hadn't taught in four months. I was almost like, I guess it's like you not dancing for four months. Mm. Um, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be able to do this. Mm. It, but it was completely overwhelming and amazing. But yeah, that we're still very strict on our social distancing and making sure everyone is comfortable. Mm. How did that impact your, your mental health? 
going so long without teaching in person? This is a tough one for me just because my PhD is lab-based. So I kind of need to be in the lab to do experiments. And I'm in the first year of my PhD. And in fact, I was one and a half months in when COVID starts. And anyone that knows anything about science knows that it's a slow process. Like in a month and a half, we're really just getting started, getting to know the lab. So if I was in a different stage of my PhD, say my third year, I perhaps would have had a lot of stuff to already analyze and things. But I was very much in a position where I felt like I was just getting started. And so to be in lockdown and not be able to do my PhD, really, there's only so much reading you can do. Mm. And also not be able to teach was huge for me. I realized that like most driven girls I know, I am really my happiest when I'm being challenged doing things I love to do. And when I'm not, my confidence goes, my happiness I also see a difference in that. I feel lethargic. Uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. I think if you love the work you're doing, it has such an impact on your happiness and your energy and how you wake up every day and how you show up every day. So yeah, that was in lockdown, that was huge. Just not being able to do both those things. You really are one of the most driven South Asian women I know. Genuinely, I say this because... I, I don't know how you balance a full-time PhD with teaching and and with the motivation and the drive that you show up with. But it's so nice to see that you've created such a community with Cycle and that you have so many people that, that you sort of brought together with that. But you have this whole other side to your life, which you also talk about, but it's just something that, you know, every time I've seen you in the studio, like I've come to your class I would, if I didn't know you, I just think you do this, you know, full time. Yeah. And so I, I think that's absolutely mind blowing. And, and I can only imagine how that's impacted you, you know, being, being then confined to being indoors and being at home and, you know, not being able to do a lot of the things that you're used to doing. Yeah. A lot of people think the same when I tell them I, I'm a scientist and they've been coming to my class for years and they don't know. It's like, oh my God, no way. But then if I talk to people in the lab and, I try and explain that I'm also like a spin instructor on this. It's a very niche thing. They're like, oh my God, no way. And in some ways, I think, am I almost like two different people when I do the two things? But I really am not. I'm just very much myself. I'm driven and I'm very real. So today, for example, in one of my classes, I was I was on the way to my second class and I was in an Uber and I had a really horrible Uber driver who was quite abusive and so unnecessary. Just, you know, when someone's having a bad day and they just project it on you, it just, it kind of shook me up. I think when you experience something like that, when you're not expecting it, when you're just getting on with your day, it can shake you up. And so I started my class and the first thing I said was, everyone, thank you so much for being here with this smile, for being kind to each other. And I, I just kind of started crying. And on the flip side, there'll be days when I don't feel like being super hyper. And then there'll be days when I'm crazy full of energy. Um, and I think with gym instructors, when you first start, there's a lot of pressure to play the music you think 
that people like working out to in gyms. There's a pressure to almost talk a certain way, like in this like instructor voice. And I think you like really start finding your feet when you literally are so fine with being yourself, completely yourself. So I'm I'm very real and I'm I'm very real in my other job too. Balancing them both is not easy. It's taken a lot of sacrifices in other parts of my life. I'm now realizing what I need to make more time for. So things like seeing my family more, seeing my friends more. It has to be a conscious effort for me to almost schedule these things in because it's so easy for me to get caught up in work. Like with sleep, I have started to prioritize my sleep more. I think everyone has come out of lockdown and it's kind of like, I don't know how I used to do the things I used to do. I used to wake up at 5 a.m. every single day, Monday to Friday, and then go to my 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. job, which is crazy. I, I honestly, like after lockdown, I am just like kind of reevaluating my schedule and really making more time to see family and friends now. I think many of us are in that position now where when you're caught up in this sort of rat race living in London, sometimes it's, it can be really difficult to take a step back and be like, okay, what's actually really important. So let's take it back to kind of when you were younger. And so where did you grow up? I grew up in Sri Lanka. Both my parents are Cindy, but they are based in Sri Lanka I'm lucky that my parents are kind of based between Sri Lanka and London. So I was always lucky enough to come here a lot during the summers. My grandparents lived here. When I was about four, I was diagnosed with leukemia, which meant that we moved to England for a chunk of my childhood. And I had the most amazing doctors here. Yeah, it was overall a really great decision. And I went back to Sri Lanka and I came back as a teenager for boarding school. I went to an all-girls boarding school, which I actually loved. Boarding school was never forced on me. It was an option. And I, I really, I loved it. I became so independent. I made sisters. And I think that's also where I started to become quite ambitious and driven because you were kind of like, you, you weren't living with mom and dad anymore. You had responsibilities. Like you there were certain things you had to do, certain things you had to fit in, certain things you had to think about that you didn't have to think about before. And then after that, I stayed on. I did my undergrad, my master's, and now my PhD here. So I've been in London full time for the last 10 years. Wow. I, I actually think that living on your own, especially from such a young age, does have such a big impact on the way you view the world. And I always think that everyone needs to experience living alone at some point in their life. Because I know people, um, you know, in their mid to late 20s who've never sort of lived away from home. And that I think while that is such a privilege and it's amazing to be able to do that. And like some of us just can't, like I, I just physically can't do that. It's it's also like, but you have to know how to take care of yourself and pay your bills and do your laundry. It's me calling my mom a lot, asking questions. Uh yeah, I, I I completely agree. Living with, also just living with yourself, enjoying your own company. That's something I'm still figuring out. I, I used to be much better at it. And I think the older I get, I'm kind of like, I miss, I miss my mom. I used to, yeah, when I was 13, 14, perfectly happy to just be in my own company. I, I really think this is just lockdown reminding me how, 
much I value the things that are important to me. And for me, family is just everything. So you grew up in Sri Lanka. What was your experience like when you were younger? Um, You mentioned that you were diagnosed with leukemia. Do you think that has also helped shape who you are? 100%. The reason I'm in science is because I'm squeamish and I couldn't be a doctor for that reason. So I was like, okay, what else can I do to give back? And so I got into science and I, I knew from, I knew from quite a young age that I really liked biology and chemistry. I went on to do my undergrad in biochemistry. Yeah. I'm, I, f- I feel very lucky to be here is as matter of fact as it is. And I want to do as much as I can while I'm here is so 100% it's fully ingrained in me. The fact that you pursued science and now you're doing a PhD in it, have you always been very kind of focused on your education, your studies, or was that something you kind of discovered as you were doing it, that you really enjoyed it? For sure, as you go, I think, I didn't even know what I wanted to do in my, when I was doing my undergrad, I was, I think London, everyone is so intense and so driven and an imperial, I I don't know if you can relate, but everyone just is so driven that in our first year, people already knew what job they wanted at the end. And I had no clue. I was like, do I go into pharma? Do I do a master's? Do I go into law? Like, cause you could. And I had friends that did, do I go into finance? Do I stay in science? I didn't know I wanted to do a PhD until I finished my master's. And just by chance, I interned at a really amazing lab at Imperial while I was at Imperial. And I made some great friends there. And literally this girl DM'd me on Instagram and she was like, the professor's looking for a new PhD student. They're like, they're doing interviews and you loved the project you were working on. Come, like come email her, get an interview. And I, that's literally how it happened. So I don't even know if I would have done a PhD if it weren't for that message, because I couldn't find a PhD that I loved enough. I did my master's in nutrition. So I wanted a PhD that both had elements of nutrition and biochemistry. And I just couldn't find one. Um, and I, and I was just so, so happy when I, I got this PhD because it's looking at the effect of your gut bacteria on your appetite, but in a really cellular way. So all my biochemistry stuff, looking at cells and things, it's all there. So I was like, oh my God, this is made for me. But no, abs- like I had no clue what I wanted to do when I was doing my undergrad. I decided I was going to do a master's in nutrition in my final year at the end. So uh, very much figuring it out as I go. I think I think I want to be a professor, which means I would stay in academia. But like you know, that can change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I and I love that it's been such an organic process for you because often it can be really crippling, especially when you know you see people who are, seem to be doing really well online, and you think oh my God, they must have everything planned out. Like things just work out for people. Like why does nothing work out for me? And it's so easy to kind of go down that rabbit hole of, you know, thinking negatively and and feeling like everyone else has their shit together and you don't. We We all do it. We all do it. And I think even with Cycle, that also came to me completely organically. That was me at the end of a class having a mutual discussion with an instructor and her saying, 
I think you should audition to be an instructor. The auditions are tomorrow. Just come. Like it was, you know, it's, I really believe that what's meant to be is meant to be. So yeah, work hard, dream big, but it's so easy to look at other people and think I want this. I'm not there. I don't have my shit together. I really think that what's meant to come your way will come your way. I'm a big believer in signs. Like what you're saying to me, if that applied to my life, I would think, okay, that was a sign. Like that was an opportunity that opened up. It's your choice if you take it or not. Yeah. But you took that decision to go to that audition and you showed up. And with the PhD, I mean, that's such a big decision. Yet you were just like, no, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go for it. So I think that's pretty incredible. Do you feel like maybe if you hadn't moved to London, like, do you, do you feel like there's an alternative career path that you could have taken if you hadn't gone for a sort of um, academia and science? I don't think so. In terms of, I really love hands-on science. I love practical science. I so in Sri Lanka, there are some great labs opening up there, but in the niche that I want to look at, looking at the gut microbiome and things, the best opportunities are here for me. I mean, there is a lot you can do in science. A lot of my friends went to work for big pharma companies. Um, you don't have to do a PhD. You can still go into research in a big company, but I, I think at the end of the day, I love learning. I love learning. So I think the PhD was the best decision for me. Actually, going back to um, your point about how everyone at Imperial is really driven, the way I saw it was, is basically just all of the really smart people from every class and every school all stuck into one university. So it's like, even if you were like the smartest person in your area growing up. Everyone was the smartest kid in their class. And so you came from being the one that won the A-level prize to being like, I was, when I, when I was still figuring it out and finding my feet, I was very much like middle slash near bottom of my class. Like I managed to come out and do really well at the end, but I had to work really hard and I've always worked hard. It's not like things have ever just come to me. I've, I worked really hard for my A-levels and my GCSEs, but this was a huge shock this was a huge shock for me. I was like, wow, like I, I'm actually not the one that's working the hardest anymore. People haven't left the library yet. Like I'm coming in now, they're still here. And it's it wasn't healthy. It was competitive and it was not healthy. Though I remember telling my family when I was deep in my second year and couldn't see a light, that, that feeling when you're, you, you just, you have an exam the next day and you feel like you know nothing. And I was hysterical on the phone. And I said, if I can get through this undergraduate degree at Imperial, I can do anything. <laughs> so it was just like, just get to the end. So that that is something that I think when you look back, you can join the dots and be like, actually, that was a very, very rich experience because it was just so, so intense that, you know, it's not normal for, for everyone to experience something like that. If I were to kind of go back and do it again, I would do it again. Uh, I probably would have handled it better mentally or tried to. I had a great time at Imperial. I just also worked myself to the ground. I made great friends there. My first year, once I found my feet, I was able to still, I don't know how I used to balance going out four nights a week <laughs> and Imperial, but I did it. I, I, I was waking up early and working Saturdays and Sundays, but I made it work and I had a great time. But towards the end, the workload was just unreal. Do you ever feel like you just, you don't want to keep doing it anymore? Do you ever have moments where you just 
given up? I haven't given up, but I've come very close. I think especially in a PhD, anyone that does a PhD will, will agree that you're very much on your own. And the reason why you're doing your PhD is because you're the first person to ever try and answer that question that you're asking. So it's quite daunting. In fact, sometimes I'm like, I wish I just had a nine to five job and all my tasks were just written out for me. And I was reporting to my manager who would check them through for me every day. Whereas with a PhD, you, you yourself are working on that question. Yeah, you have a professor, but somewhere like Imperial, you're you don't chat to your professor every day and your professor trusts you. But you're very much waking up, making your own to-do list. Or if you take that further, for example, I'm working with human gut cells. I, I will like culture them, I'll grow them, I'll do experiments on them. And you work on these rare things that no one within your close proximity has worked on before. Or they have, but you're doing different things. And it's very much like you have to figure stuff out. Uh, it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of optimization. And so, yeah, I, there's, I'm honestly going through a period, right? Trying this one experiment that I just cannot get to work. It's just, it just will not work. And I feel like I'm literally just hitting my head against a brick wall over and over again. And I was I was really open with my professor about it. And I, w- I almost felt like I had to apologize to her because I was like, I'm so sorry, I can't get this to work. And I'm, I'm not getting any results. And she openly said, like, your first year of your PhD is about getting everything to work. <laughs> Do not worry about results. But I, there have been moments where I've been like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. But I've got to remember why I'm doing it. So how do you motivate yourself in moments like that? What do you tell yourself? Um, Like I said, I remember why I'm doing it, why I want the PhD. I want to eventually, hopefully, right now, be a professor one day. I also sometimes remind myself that I haven't given up in the past when it's been really tough and I've got to where I am. I remind myself of my undergrad finals. I'm like, come on, you can, like... You can do this. You can be resilient now. But also a lot of the time I, I call I call friends and family. And I if I need to have a cry, I need to have a cry. I think that's I think that's very much okay. I think in science and STEM, you know, it's very clinical and you look around and everyone is so fast paced and knows what they're doing. You think everyone knows what they're doing and everyone's a genius. And what's amazing is that I work in a lab run by a woman and only with females. So we're very much there for each other. If someone's having a bad day, like you can say it, we can acknowledge it, we're there for each other. So yeah, I've many a time called friends and family while I'm in the lab <laughs> and they might not know what I'm talking about, but I just need to talk to someone. Yeah, I think you need to find what works for you in those moments. Do you feel like there's enough representation of people such as yourself? So whether that is a South Asian woman or the fact that you also do, you know, you teach at Cycle. Do you see other people in the lab who are kind of having, who have similar schedules to you? In terms of being Indian, there are some really lovely Indian girls, not in my lab, but in the building, just because my lab is only five people. So 
And that's about right, one in five or one in six. So I've met some really lovely Indian girls. In terms of my schedule, I don't think anyone else works another job on the side. Uh, So I haven't met anyone. Because I started teaching when I was in my second year of my undergrad. And I didn't tell anyone for the longest time because Imperial is a bit like Oxbridge in the fact that you can get a job, but you really do not have time for one. If you're, if you're doing the work, you really don't have time for one. I made it work. I was doing early mornings, late nights. And I almost was in my head about the fact that I didn't want people to tease me and think that it was like, oh, she's doing this stupid personal training job or something. I, I almost created this really stupid conversation in my head that, it's going to make me in front of all these scientists, geniuses, seem less smart. So I actually, I, I didn't tell people for the longest time. And then I finally was just like, actually, let my friends come to my class and like, let, let people know when I need a bit of extra help or, you know, if I really need to miss a lecture, can someone give me their notes? So it's, it's listen, it's a unique situation. At Cycle, I have met people that, have done full-time jobs and taught at cycle with they've have to they have to adjust their schedules accordingly but in my specific lab I haven't met anyone that does anything similar what's fantastic is that women now or or anyone who comes into the lab and maybe sees you that will motivate them if they want to also have a job because you're now that person who's doing that right I mean I have been warned that in your third fourth year of your PhD that you start living in the lab (laughs) so yeah but absolutely and also I I work with really supportive people so if they know I have I've done a 6 30 a.m class I'm like guys let's go for any other coffee like yeah and I'm really 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 lucky to work in a lab of females that understand and are really caring because through my undergrad degree I didn't feel like females were underrepresented because maybe because it was biochemistry. So it was kind of 50-50. But I looked at some of the degrees at Imperial, and I'm sure yours, and it was crazy. I couldn't, could hardly see girls. And so I was so lucky to get this PhD. And I, I'm even proud of the fact that it's all girls. Do you see that representation in cycle? Yes, to an extent. I, in fact, was really drawn to cycle when I was a writer before I started teaching to my dear friend Seema's class and Seema's an Indian and I was just so happy to see an Indian teaching fitness because take cycle out the picture Indians teaching fitness in Europe is like not not a thing I can't really name any you know any instructors that I know or very few and so I saw Seema and I saw this her like even at that stage, I was like, oh my gosh, she's wearing a sports bra and like, she's super confident and she's amazing. And she's playing like hip hop music and she's just so cool. And it was amazing to see someone like that. And I think Cycle has done a really good job of hiring a super diverse team. Listen, in terms of Indians, it's, it's me and Seema. But in terms of, you know, we have tons of instructors from everywhere which is amazing I would like to see more Indians in fitness in London do you think there's um a bit of a I don't know if the word is stigma but there's definitely like a 
maybe a bit of a taboo around fitness within like South Asian females. I know that, you know, that there is this misconception that like Indian women don't go to the gym or they don't work out. I don't know if it's a misconception. What what do you think about that? I agree in the fact that like the very like sort of traditional is if they do work out, it's it's a very private thing. It's you know I've I've even seen female only gyms in India. And yeah, it is this whole taboo. And I think like if you come to my class, you will see I'm like drenched in sweat after and it's it's not cute. It's not a very graceful, <laughs> delicate or like cute, poised way of exercise. So yeah, there I think there could be people that are shy to try it or shy to say they have done it. Which is which is a shame. And I think you're you're absolutely right, you know. But I, I really do think that exercise around the world for all kinds of people is becoming more and more in the forefront. That's true. I think definitely with with the introduction of social media in our lives and you see so many fitness influencers as well, I think it does that there is more access to just being able to work out, and especially with COVID, people have been working out from home. You've been teaching as well um at home so yes there is there is accessibility and you know I think that people are starting to come out of their shell with it but I still do think that in the community itself there is a certain notion that like oh you know like you don't really need to work out or that it's not really ingrained in our culture as yet or it's not as prevalent I don't think actually I'm I'm very lucky that I've grown up with a mom and even I look at my grandparents and they all have always either exercised or done a lot of yoga my mom has been going to the gym for 20 years now you know so it it was never a thing for me so I haven't personally experienced that even like my nani in Chennai she does she wakes up she does her stretches she does her yoga every day I think I can completely relate when I'm thinking about London fitness classes and the very intense, high-octane, sweaty classes that I teach where it can be – and everyone's in a sports bra and everyone's really sweaty and it's – that I, I completely understand in that aspect. How have you felt that your work has been perceived um, among your friends um, who are also South Asian or just the wider community? Yeah, so I'm I'm really lucky. I have really amazing Indian friends in London that all are just super supportive, whether they like spinning or not. They're so cute. Treat like it's almost like I'm a rock star. And they're like, "Oh my god, you're a class. You taught today. You're amazing." This is really amazing. I think you know we're a different generation now, uh, which is great. It it was tricky to explain it to my grandparents what I was doing, but even my 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 grandparents, my wider family, everyone is so excited for me, and I think everyone's just really going with the times, like. I actually didn't need to explain to my grandparents what a spin class was. It's just, it's amazing now. Everything's on the internet. And I never really felt a taboo about going in and teaching. I mean, I've always taught in a sports bra. I, perhaps that was me growing up here. 
and not, you know, not yeah. feeling shy about it and also just encouraging people. I have, I just remember at the end of the day, I, the reason why I teach is because I want people to come in and feel amazing about themselves. The workout is very much secondary to that. So that's got to start with me. So that's, that's where it comes from with me. So, and that's how I went in from the start, that that's why you're doing this. And if I were to ever have to explain it to someone, that's exactly what I would say. I love that. And, and I think that it's so important to, to be able to see like other South Asians really kind of pushing this and, and being like, no, this is good. This is, we need to introduce this into our routines and, and what you're doing is not something of shame. The fact that you wear a sports bra, the fact that, you know, you bear skin in class and you sweat and all of this stuff. It doesn't matter because it's, you know, that it's that whole narrative that needs to change. Um, I do think we're quite lucky here because there isn't as much judgment here as maybe there would be in, in other communities or um, maybe other countries as well. Uh, I I don't know what the scene is like in um, maybe smaller cities in India, for example, but I think that there is still a bit of evolution that needs to happen. For sure. I I completely 100% agree. I've just been very lucky to be surrounded by quite amazing people. I have a very strong support system. I don't think I'd be able to balance everything I do without them. Yeah, it is so important to acknowledge the the people around you as well. Like I, I definitely have very supportive parents as well. And if it weren't for that, I probably wouldn't even be living alone and like doing my own thing. Um, and I also do feel like, um, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I'm very conscious of my privilege, like more recently so. And like knowing that there are people in my community who don't have like women who, you know, young young girls maybe who've not had the same opportunities or like as much support that from their families. I'm so lucky that, you know, my parents have supported me in living alone and pursuing things that some people might not have been able to pursue. Yeah. I feel very lucky about it. Mm. What about the Sindhi community? Um, do you, do you get that kind of, do you get like, do you see a lot, a lot more Cindy's coming to um, classes and doing more workouts? Um, do you think you've had some kind of part to play in influencing that? So all my Indian friends in London are Cindy and they're some of my closest friends here and they're very much next generation. So they're always at Barry's. They love coming to my class. Yeah, they're, they're super great. They're, I think a lot of them have grown up here or have just been quite sporty through school. So even if they grew up in Lagos or India, uh, they've been on the football team, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I actually have quite sporty friends and really fun ones and completely up for trying new things, supporting each other, whatever that means, which is really great. That's really lovely to hear. So in terms of, I guess, the whole fitness side to your life, do you think that it positively influences you mentally in your PhD and all the other things that you do? For sure. Like, I think you you don't realize what an impact something can have on you until you don't do it anymore. And so when I was lucky enough to go back into the lab at the beginning of June and Cycle only opened at end of July and it's crazy how much my mood was affected and my stress levels sometimes 
it's really nice to get to the end of the day knowing I can look forward to teaching a class and just, you know, changing the energy and changing where my head's at. Because I go from science mode to then being super creative and very open and very empathetic and energetic in my classes. So I, re- I really enjoy that shift of energy and it really... It is something to look forward to for me and it affects my mood. That being said, if I haven't slept well and I then go teach a class and then go to my PhD, I'm not okay. And I think because I was sleeping so much in lockdown, I was sleeping like eight hours a night, which even isn't even that much, but it was, I would be running on six every day. Mm. I then realized it, it took me that to realize how much better my focus is at work when I'm sleeping more. So if I'm sleeping amazing, I then go teach a class, go to work. I'll have a great day because especially in the morning, if I've taught a class, my I'm in a good mood. I feel so amazing that I've done a workout. My clarity is good. My focus is good. I'm really driven um, for the day. So yeah, I think prioritizing sleep has been a big one for me as well. How do you manage to make it for 6.30 a.m. classes regularly? So I actually was talking to someone about this today. I was like, I don't know how I used to do them. I was just running on six hours of sleep constantly. So I did I did them once a week now. And I'll make sure that if I know I'm waking up at 5.30, I, will, I, I need to get better at this. But I will try and be in bed for 10.30. It's hard to do, though, because, you know, there's so much going on. Exactly. Um, but like I said, the great thing about my job is that the people that come to my classes are so amazing. And so I look forward to going and teaching them. Okay. So in terms of nutrition, uh, you said, you know, that was one of your areas of focus in your studies. How did you get interested in nutrition? Where did that start? And what, what is your diet like now? Really a question. So when I was a teenager, I was quite big and quite overweight I was completely anti-exercise. I was the kind of kid that would make any excuse to be let off from PE, which is so weird because now I teach fitness for a living. And it got to a stage where I think I, I, I saw a doctor and I was warned about, you know, how obesity affects everything. And it does. And I think it took a doctor for me to say it in black and white. And so I started getting into exercise and diet. And my dad took me to cycle for the first time, which is great. But I really started getting into nutrition. And listen, I think everyone, every girl at some stage of their life goes through a weird relationship with food or their body, whether it's an eating disorder or body dysmorphia, like we all have it on and off. We've all had it. We all will continue to have it. Um, I was in a really bad place with body dysmorphia. And when I first got into dieting, I went really hard. It's an approach I would literally tell no one to do you know, kind of thing, carbs are bad for you. This is bad for you. This is bad for you. This is bad for you. Counting calories obsessively. And I just became really weak. And I think it got to the stage where I was like, yeah, I, I want to be slim, but I want to also feel good. I want to have energy when I wake up. I don't want, I was, I was depressed all the time when I was this weak. And so that's when I really started to get into nutrition, looking at a way I could still eat and have energy but, you know, stay slim and strong. And I've been vegetarian since I was about 
eight years old. Um, I remember my mom and I went to an ashram in um, Bangalore and we were, we stayed there for a couple of weeks and I was vegetarian and I just, I loved it. And we had loads of lectures there and I, I think they gave us a few lectures about animals and things like this. And I, I just came home when I was seven from the trip and I was like to my mom, I'm not eating animals again. Like I'm fine, which I just, so I just have stayed vegetarian for the last 16 years. And so originally when I was looking into getting into like a sustainable way of eating, I went vegan just because I was like, Anya, you're eating a lot of cheese, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do it for any environmental reason. I just did it because also it was, it was trending to be honest, Mm. free, dairy free, going gluten free was the worst thing I ever did because when then I had a really good relationship with food again, I wanted to reintroduce it. It took a while for my body to be okay with it again. Mm. So if anyone's listening to this and wants to like lose weight, I would say don't cut out, don't just cut out things full stop. There's sustainable ways of doing it. But yeah, I got really into nutrition. I became vegan. I, I've been eating fish on and off for the last five years I didn't eat it for a solid three I started eating it again just because I was if you're a vegan it's it's a lot of carbs and that's okay right but it was just the amount I work out and me being on the go so much uh, I am um, I noticed that if I eat a load of carbs in the middle of my day I do feel quite sluggish so I've started eating fish again and I'm really enjoying it but yeah, I'm. I'm still. I still don't eat eggs. I'm dairy free. I don't restrict myself really. I eat healthy foods because I enjoy them. But then I also, you know, if I want to eat something that's not so healthy, I will. I will literally eat it. But while I was vegan for two years, I stayed committed to it because I started educating myself on like the environmental, the sustainability impact of being vegan and not eating meat. It's um, why I stayed vegan. Um, And I'm still trying to do my bit. So yeah, my diet right now is very much, I eat a lot because I work out a lot and I'm on my feet all day. And I do notice a difference when I don't eat three solid meals in my productivity, my focus, my sleep, like everything, my performance in my classes. I eat three meals a day. I, yeah, I'm not one of those people that forgets to eat. (laughs) Yeah. I have a burning question. Do you cook and how do you fit in like preparation of your meals and your busy schedule? So I don't cook as much as I'd like to. Mm. I have a standard few places which I know will do yum healthy food and I'll get from them but if I do cook I will keep it simple like one or two pans maximum like on on a weekday right and I'll just always be thinking protein veggies carbs just I'm also a sucker for if I enjoy something I'll eat the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. so I, I love like pesto pasta with some grilled fish on the side I love like avo toast for breakfast I, I'll, I'll stick to the same things I also know how to make a really easy dal in one pot in half an hour which is good but yeah I'm very basic and on the weekend when I do have more time I try and find a new fun vegan recipe and cook something um, I'm loving oatly cream at the moment I just I found it on Amazon Mm -hmm. and I've been making like all my favorite 
um, dairy recipes, but with this oatly cream. So I made like creamy garlic mushrooms and mac and cheese. And yeah, I, I still I still have junk food taste buds. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go away. That's so good to know, though, because it does feel like, you know, if you're a fitness instructor like yourself or if you're like really, really into your nutrition and especially if you're vegan, you, you just think like, oh, but then any kind of good tasting food has just gone out the window. Like, what do you even also, eat? Honestly, the reason why I am not vegan, not fully vegan anymore, one of them is because it got to a stage where I was just eating anything vegan But let me put this into perspective. Oreos are vegan. Fries are vegan. You can like eat a lot of junk when you're vegan. And I think if I was a good planner and like always cooked lunch to take to to work every day and I, who knows, maybe I'd stay being vegan. I do love eating fish, but who knows? But it's just, it was, it was just me literally like grabbing whatever I could out of convenience not that fries are bad. Like I literally had fries last night. So I think there is this whole misconception that, oh, vegan, what do they eat? Do they eat lettuce? Like, no, absolutely not. Especially in London, there are the most insane vegan restaurants here. You can get anything vegan. Yeah. Yeah, you really can. I think London's a great city if you're vegan. It's funny. So I've been vegetarian my whole life. And when I was in school, I was quite short, but um, this was the thing. So I was Indian vegetarian, one of the only like vegetarians in my school. And so all my friends who were not Indian, they'd, they'd be like to me, oh, you know, you really should eat some chicken or something. You're never going to grow. Yeah. And um, and I remember one summer, I think I was probably like 14, I'd had a growth spurt. So I'd gone from being the shortest kid in class to probably being like in the middle somewhere. And um, and I just, I rocked up and I was like, see, like my mom's doll does work. You uh-huh. know? And, and I still to this day get this. It's like, oh, how, are you, how have you been vegetarian your whole life? But I did actually consider veganism, but I like cheese way too much. So the point that you made about how it's easy to eat junk food that is veggie or vegan it's so true because I live off literally sourdough, cheese, chips, and I need to try and change that. But I just love those foods too much. Listen, I think life is too short and people should eat the food they enjoy unless it's making them feel bad. And yeah, be mindful about how much of it you're eating. But from my experience with in the past with you know eating and restricting and body dysmorphia, it's just not worth it. Mm. So food makes you happy, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Actually, I wanted to ask you about protein. I personally struggle with this a lot as a vegetarian. I just feel like the options seem limited to me for protein or you have to be very creative. So in your years that you were vegan, how did you? Yeah, I know I completely 100% agree with you. It's It's very hard, especially if you're doing grab and go, right? It's not like you can just pick up like a chicken salad. It's very much like you've got to, you know, either like cook loads of lentils or cook cook your dal, which like, let's be honest, like when we're like crazy busy, like when are we having the time to do that, right? Do you eat tofu? Yeah. I I think one, the, the biggest game changer for me was you cannot treat tofu as something that only goes in Chinese food. Mm. As soon as you should start treating it like as you would a block of chicken, like I literally, I love sauteing tofu and putting truffle oil on top of it and putting it on top of my pasta. Like I think 
Tofu has been a game changer for me. I also really like tempeh and they've started selling it like everywhere now, which is really nice. But yeah, no, I completely agree in terms of protein that's tough. There are some really good pastas which you can get, which are made out of things like chickpeas and red lentils, Mm. which is easy because you're still eating your pasta and you're also getting a huge protein hit. Yeah. Um, I also love hummus. I think but people like forget that simple is also really good like hummus and pita bread protein is made of amino acids and there are certain amino acids which our body can produce and there are certain ones that your body can't and they're called your essential amino acids because these ones are the building blocks of protein that your body can't make so you have to get them from your diet and there's lots of different kinds of them I think I think there's about seven, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry if any scientists are listening. But there's certain foods which are high in some and then high in others. And so when you eat something like meat, it's high in all of them because it's, you know, it's an animal that has protein in it. But with veggie sources, like chickpeas will be higher in something and then rice will be higher in another thing. So a really easy rule to make sure you're getting your complete profile for protein is to pair a grain and a legume. So something like hummus and pita bread Mm -hmm. or sourdough and peanut butter because peanuts are a legume. Dal and rice. Like it's it's called protein complementation. It's a really simple rule and also it just simple is best. What is your view on fake meat? So things like Beyond Burgers and corn. So I I love Beyond Meat. I love the taste. Have you tried it? Yeah, I love it too. It's so good. I mean, too much of anything is bad for you. The stuff in Beyond Meat is not that bad for you, but like with anything in a package, it's in a package. I think if you're allergic to some of the things on there, like soy or you can't deal with a lot of fiber, like it's an issue. I think, I think it's great that all these fake meat things are coming out because I can literally go with my friends now to a burger place and they'll have something I can eat that's not a fried cauliflower fritter or something. <laughs> and also it's so cool to see more people like eating the Beyond Meat instead of eating the beef. I think it's amazing. Um, I've got friends who eat meat who've said that the, um, the Beyond Burger at Honest Burgers actually tastes better than the meat. It's so good, yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's a great thing and it's a great stepping stone for anyone that wants to try cut down their meat consumption. So I, I'm completely for it. <laughs> okay, good. That's good to know because I think you know um, I don't know if you've heard of like deliciously Ella, but she what she stands for is you know we don't incorporate anything that's fake meat. It's all about making vegetables seem cool, which obviously is a very clear purpose, and that's what they stick by. But I started kind of seeing that as an implication that, you know, fake meat is bad for you or that because it's processed, it's, you know, might have some effects. I think it's very easy to get that message from a lot of Instagrammers, like this whole whole foods, clean, 100%. And honestly, like people like Delicious Liela and things like that stem from them having chronic illnesses where they really were allergic to so much. So listen, like if you're not allergic to the things in Beyond Meat, I'm not saying eat it every day, but, you know, see it as protein, see it as part of your meal, eat it and eat your vegetables on the side. I I think when I first became vegan, I became so fixated on only eating like these insanely vegetable focused recipes all the time. And you need to make sure you're getting enough protein and 
you're enjoying your diet still. I guess the final question from me then. I wanted to know, Anya, what do you have strong game in? I, I think we've spoken about this, but I think I am finally in a stage in my life where I'm really okay with being myself. So like, I guess authenticity, I am not afraid to take up space, be who I am, even if that's, even if it's different from who, am I, who I'm around. So yeah, that's a big one for me. And also, um, I'd say, yeah, my ambition and the things that get me out of bed in the morning really get me up. And I think if I can give any piece of advice, it's if you love the work you do and you remember why you're doing it, then you'll want to work hard at it. So if you haven't found that yet, don't settle. Go find that thing, you know? Go find what makes you want to get out of bed. How would you find it? I think you gotta I think you gotta try different things. Or have conversations with people or yeah, honestly, every single big decision I've made has been influenced by amazing conversations I've had with people and listening to other people's life experiences. I I think it's it should be normalized more, like learning from other people, learning from other people's mistakes, learning from other people's successes and not just having this internal compass, always knowing what you want to do, where you want to be going. So yeah. This has been so helpful. Like I've learned so much from just speaking to you. So thank you for sharing that. I love what you're doing. And I'm just so proud to see someone like you representing the community and just women in general and just empowering everyone around you because I see such a tight community around you that you've created, whether it's, you know, with Cycle or just with your social media. And um, and yeah, and, and I'm just so glad to know you. I so. mean, what you're doing is amazing. But I think everyone I look up to, authenticity attracts people. And I think like the people that come to my class or the people that listen to your podcast, they're drawn to it because they feel they can relate to some part of you. Absolutely. So that's, you know, that's everything all about. Thank you for listening to this episode and I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you feel like it might be of benefit to someone you know and love, then please share it with them. And if you are listening on Apple, if you could leave a review, that would make a huge difference because it would allow other people to find out about this podcast and discover the conversations that they may need to listen to right now. So um, yes, and of course, uh, subscribe if you can. Um, It will allow you to find out about new episodes. I am trying to release them weekly kind of skipped the valentine's day weekend just because i was like i feel like everyone's busy but (laughs) we're back now with weekly episodes and i will see you at the next one take care and have a great week